Our scripture lesson today comes from the good news, the gospel according to St. Mark, uh, chapter 1. This is the beginning story uh, that we share at Lent as Jesus begins his journey towards Jerusalem, and we end up with Holy Week and Easter here in just a few weeks. Let's share in God's good word together. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. This is our sermon series, Now Till Easter. If you'd like to follow along, we are uh, barring and adapting this sermon series from our flagship church, Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. Uh, there is a book written by Reverend Adam Hamilton that goes along this. Uh, our children's department has it and using it. Our youth department has it and will be using it. And if you'd like to follow along with your small group, uh, just let us know. Uh, Dr. Alexander has all the materials for you and can get you hooked up if you want to follow along with the sermon series in a small group format. We're happy to have you uh, alongside. Today we start with baptism and temptation. Will you say that with me? Baptism and temptation. These things actually go together. They're not opposites. They actually go together. That when God is in your life and God is working in your life, you will often find temptation right beside you. That these things happen. So often people think, oh, well, this must not be God's will because things are hard or I'm tempted. No, no, no. What we find in Jesus' own life is that when he was stepping into the will of the Father, temptation was still right beside him. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. uh, And we're going to begin to move through the teaching ministry of Jesus, where he walked, where he talked. Uh, And some of the photos that I'll be sharing uh, are from April of 2015 when Chantel and I went to the Holy Land. We'll actually take you to the very places uh, that we've been. And then we've got a trip coming up in June. Uh, We've got two spots left. If you want to go with us, let us know. Um, We're happy to, to share that with you. It was a great, great time. So as as context, uh, one of the things that we find in the other Gospels is that when Jesus, in the birth narratives of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Luke, um, we find that uh, Mary and Joseph uh, and baby Jesus, Mary goes to her relatives and finds uh, that Elizabeth and Zachariah are having a baby boy and the, and the boys leap in their womb. And what, so what we find out is that Jesus and John are cousins. Uh, they're born about six months apart and John is the older of the two. And so John is the older cousin, Jesus is the younger cousin, Uh, and as cousins will do, they probably spent about a week together each year at Passover. Um, Mary and Joseph lived up and around Nazareth. Uh, They would travel down to Jerusalem for the week of Passover, much like you would go to Thanksgiving. All the aunts and uncles and family get together, cousins get together, um, and there they are at Passover. Um, Elizabeth and Zechariah lived just around the Jericho area, and so just outside of Jerusalem, so they probably would have stayed with them uh, when they were headed to the temple for Passover. Um, Some scholars even think think that John may have been a part of the story when Jesus got lost um, and was found at the temple. You could almost hear John saying, hey, little cousin, go in there and teach. You can do it. I dare you. You know, just these two cousins having fun. We need to understand the humanity of the story that we are learning. Uh, John and Jesus growing up together, playing together, seeing each other, being in one another's homes, uh, knowing one another, knowing the call that they have on their lives. One, Messiah, son of God, and the other, his forerunner. Only by six months, but still his forerunner. The two cousins having a good time together. But part of the things that we don't find in Scripture, but the tradition teaches us, is that John most likely moved to a monastery at age 14 at Qumran. Uh, now, 
Qumran is just south of Jericho, about six miles. Um, so here's Jericho here. Here's Jerusalem here. Jesus is going to live up here at Nazareth. Um, and just in a little bit when we get to the story, Jesus is going to come down here to be uh, baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, but Jericho's right here, and Qumran is going to be right down here. This is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Um, it's just a, a desert area um, and, and just really desolate and dry. And so what makes that really interesting is that the group that John starts with at, at, at Qumran, uh, this monastery, is a group called the Essenes. And they were known for their daily practice of ritual bathing for purification using uh, a mikvah. Now, a mikvah is simply uh, basically a place where you can get underwater. Uh, there are seven steps down and seven steps back up. And, and so in a mikvah, there's, there's lots of different ones. You can still see them today. You can go there and, and see them. You don't get to go down in them, but you can, you can see them and they're protected. Uh, and what would happen is folks would go down one side and come up the other. There are all kinds of different mikvahs. Sometimes you come down this side, you walk across, and then you come back up. But the piece is that you would need to be ritually cleansed if you had worked with a dead body or if you'd been working with meat, if you worked with blood of any kind. And so this was part health, part public health, but also part religion. And so there was no separation of church and state. If, if you um, had been through menses, you simply needed to come through here to be reunited with the family. If you had been with somebody who was sick or ill, um, you would need to come uh, and before you could get back, right? I mean, it's kind of like what we do with the flu. Oh, you have the flu, stay home, right? And then you get them all cleaned up, and then they come back to work is your hope. You don't, you don't want them with you. So it was religious, but it wasn't just religious. It was largely around keeping the community safe. And so this is uh, the mikvah. And that was true for Judaism all around, but it would sit at the bottom of a cistern. It's really remarkable if you think about it. There, there's this Judean desert that's super dry, but it would rain every once in a while. The flash floods would come, and they'd fill up these little mikvahs, uh, maybe halfway or, or to here, and then you were able to richly bathe and come back into community. What made the Qumran community interesting was that this was the only place we know of that did it daily. They had daily mikvahs for every person in their community. And so you'd go down and up, down and up. That's how that worked. And this was how John the Baptizer got his name, John the Baptist, uh, because he was a part of this community that was known uh, for this ritual cleansing. So um, this, this bathing. So the baptism of Jesus. So here's, here's the question that we ask the kids. It's a tricky one. We'll ask you as well. So did Jesus need to be baptized? Yes or no? Yes and no. It's both. It's both. It's a very tricky, tricky answer. Because Jesus needed to be baptized because he needed to be obedient. Right? The, the father asked him to be baptized so he was obedient. And, and you could argue that if Jesus couldn't be obedient in something as simple as baptism by his cousin John, who, you know, they, they had run together all their life, you could argue that if he couldn't be uh, faithful there and obedient there, he couldn't be faithful to the cross and to our salvation. You see, that's the thing that we, we forget is that we, we often think in our own minds, well, if God asked me to do something really big for him, I would do it, but, but not this little stuff. Not, not, I'm not going to do that. That's either beneath me or I've been there, done that. I, I don't need to do that. No, it's these little pieces of obedience that allow us to live into a life of full obedience. And so each of these little steps of obedience are very, very important, uh, as it was for Jesus at this time at his baptism. So Jesus came from Nazareth to meet John at the Jordan. Um, Jesus is, is coming a little more than halfway, and it's known as the way to what? The promised land. The promised land. Now, you, you see the metaphor, how beautiful this is. That Jesus is coming to the very spot where the people of Israel had been out in the wilderness, and they're about to cross into the promised land. 
And it's at that spot with, with all the Jews people gathered around them for this baptism, Jesus is about to be the way to the promised land as well. Still is today. When you're baptized, you're baptized into the life and teaching and, and very life of Jesus. His life and breath comes into our lives. And he is the way to the promised land. Jesus came from Nazareth to meet John at the Jordan River, which is known as the way to the promised land. And now Jesus is the way to the promised land. And so they meet just outside of Jericho. John's going to come up from Qumran, um, from the south to the north. And Jesus is going to come from Nazareth and meet him from the north to the south. And, and so the Jordan flows south to where? The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. Now, why, why is that important? You can, you can see that. So Jesus is up here. He comes to here. John's down here. He meets him up here. This is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Mount Hermon's going to be way up here. And the snow's going to melt, go to the Sea of Galilee. And then it flows from north to south, dead into the Dead Sea. Right? Now, what can live in the Dead Sea? Nothing. Not even your sin. What a beautiful image for the people of God. That when they were baptized in the Jordan, their sin was washed away. And not only was it washed away, but it was washed away to a place where nothing could live. It would never be seen again. And that's how it is at baptism. That our sins are washed away, never to be picked up again, not to dog us, to be able to, to say no to the things that have been harming us in our life and others. And we lay them down and they go away to death. At baptism, sin and guilt are washed away to die, like in the Dead Sea. So it simply washes down, never to be seen again. Isn't that beautiful? It's It's gone. When you're baptized and it flows down the river, it is gone. The Jordan flows down to the Dead Sea. And at baptism, our sin and guilt are washed away to die, to, to be seen no more. And, but it's not just that. It's also that at baptism, you receive power to enter into the promised life. Now, I know some of you are really serious about your sermon. Some of you even pretend like you know all the answers before we start, and you've already put land. Gotcha. It's promised life today, right? Promised Life. At baptism, you receive power to enter into the promised life. The life that Jesus says is yours. He is the way, the truth, and life itself. Promised life. Uh, when we went to the Jordan, we saw this family. We didn't understand a word that they were saying, but we were able to celebrate with them. New life. The promised life as this young girl comes up out of the water uh, with who we assume are her parents. Just a great and beautiful day at the Jordan. But you can see it, it's, it's murky. You, you don't really know what's down there you nobody's seeing the sins wash away it's all a part of of all of that going down to the dead sea to be seen never again never again it, it's washed away at the very place of the promised land jesus is the way the truth and the life we thank him for it and so jesus also though receives power from the spirit for the ministry ahead for the ministry ahead so it's not that he needs cleansing of sin. Jesus was perfect. He was right in every way. But he did need power to do what God was calling him to do. And I would remind us that in, in the Bible, we never see any healings, no acts of power come from Jesus prior to baptism. It's at his baptism that the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon him like a dove. And, and God says to all who would hear, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And I am empowering him now to be the Messiah, to heal and to teach and to do all the things. And all of that happens after his baptism, after the wilderness. And, and so at confirmation, 
for example, oftentimes, and I'm so excited about confirmation, that um, so many of those folks that would often be at this service uh, are at a com- our last confirmation retreat today. Uh, just, it's so exciting. We have 34 confirmands, uh, young men and women, giving their life to Christ. Uh, we've got about another number of families that are joining alongside them, and we're getting ready for that on March 19th. So uh, if you'll go ahead and mark your calendars, in two weeks, this place is going to be packed out, and we're going to baptize a whole bunch of people and welcome about 40 people into our church family. And this is going to be amazing. And, and so as a, as a part of that, we're, we're talking about baptism and what baptism is. And, and confirmation and their baptism isn't the end, right? It's not, a, it's not like a Boy Scout merit badge. It's the beginning point. It is the initiation point where our life starts in kingdom work. And so Jesus is baptized to empower him for ministry. And, but notice that when Jesus is baptized... There wasn't a party afterwards. There wasn't a reception afterwards. Uh, what happened? Jesus is led where? To the wilderness. Not, not to an after party, not to a reception. Now, I, I was joking with the parents in the first uh, uh, service. I said, now, you know, don't send your kids to the wilderness after confirmation. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Have the party, have the reception. It's all good. Um, but Jesus immediately went to the wilderness in that moment. And so what, is, what does this wilderness look like? Uh, well, it looks... Um, like this right outside um, Jericho and Jerusalem. You take a bus, you go right out here, uh, and it looks something like this. It's super rocky, um, no water, and you can see for miles. Uh, on the other side, you can, you can see the Dead Sea in the background, um, way off in the distance. Uh, there's just nothing out there. You can't hide a dead body. There's no plants. There's no growth. There, there's nothing except at the bottom of these mountains would be uh, a mikvah where they would hold the water on the few days a year that it actually does rain. Um, and we even saw a little scapegoat out there. Um, Chantel was like, hey, you got to take a photo of the goat. So that, that was it. But you can imagine, this is where God takes Jesus. He's baptized. He's obedient perfectly to God. And this is where God takes him, to this place, outside Jerusalem. Um, scholars now believe that Jesus would have, uh, they think they know the actual cave where Jesus slept at night. It was about an eight by eight cave to keep him safe from the wild animals that would come out at night. Um, And Jesus was there. And what did Jesus find in the wilderness? But God himself. God was there. But also the voice of the tempter, Satan. Both of these happen even when we are obedient. And you might say even particularly when we are obedient. Chantel and I have found this to be absolutely true. Every time we are in a new initiative for kingdom work where we're actually uh, fighting back darkness, we're pushing the boundaries of, of kingdom work, um, that's when really life gets hard. It gets a lot harder. And some of you have walked us, uh, with us through those times. You, you might remember when we were trying to uh, have our first worship service back in 1999 or when we were trying to buy the land. That was really tough. Uh, or when we got kicked out of Edmond North High School because they were doing a whole remodel and we had to find a place to go. And we, we went to Cheyenne Middle School uh, and, and they, didn't even, they were still building it. It wasn't even finished yet. Right? You have these very difficult times when you're, when you're trying to buy land or when we tried to build the first building or when we then built this building uh, or when we started our daughter church over at Connect across town or now that we're starting this extension campus. Every time you have one of these major movements, you get this pushback from the other side. That, that work doesn't come easily. It takes our greatest effort, but we can't earn it. We don't earn God's grace in any of that, but it takes our effort. It takes our best efforts. To, to live into the life that God has. And sometimes, you might say, always at some point, you find yourself in the wilderness. 
in the wilderness. But never fear that because God is with us there as well. So Jesus' first temptation really is about food, isn't it? He's out there. He's, he's fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. He's hungry. And so it's about food. Uh, the scripture says it like this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished, right? And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God. You see how he's poking him? I mean, he knows he's the Son of God. But he's like, no, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And a lot, a lot of those stones look just like bread. They certainly do. But look how Jesus answers him. He doesn't get in this long uh, discussion with the devil. That's, you don't want to do that. Jesus models this perfectly. He says, it is written. He goes to the scripture. He doesn't answer him on his own. He says, one does not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that comes from the mouth of God. He goes to the scripture. He knows the scriptures forwards and backwards. And he says, no, no, no. One doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The second temptation was about fame. It was about fame. Food and fame. These are the same temptations that are around today. I mean, if I asked you the question, would you like to be well-fed? Isn't your answer yes? Yes, we like to be well-fed. And wouldn't you like to be well-known? To have nice things said about you. To be well-fed and well-known. These are the temptations of life. It comes to all of us. So Jesus' second temptation was about fame. The devil takes him up to the holy city, places him on the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, you can go to that very spot today and see where, where this temptation was happening in Jerusalem. And he does it again. He says, if you are the son of God, right? Not, not that he knows that he, no, he's poking him. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. But again, Jesus doesn't fall for it. He simply says, again, it's written, right? Not a big argument. Uh, I used to have a, a friend of mine say, look, if you pick the devil up on the side of the road, sooner or later he's going to be driving, Right? So you don't, you don't engage in that conversation. You need to keep that at bay. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Food and fame. These are the temptations of life. Now, when I was a little boy, um, I wanted to be famous. And, and there, was one, there was one guy in particular um, that I was really interested in. And um, he was a big deal in the 70s, 1974. Uh, maybe some of you all know this guy. He, he looks like this. Um, he would ride a motorcycle uh, and, and has this gold chain and a helmet. He was cool. Anybody know his name? Oh, you know Evil Knievel. He is awesome. In 1974, right, he, he, he got everything was about TV. So over the course of his career, this guy, Evil Knievel, he attempted more than 75, 75 ramp-to-ramp motorcycle jumps. 75. But in 1974, he failed an attempt to jump the canyon, the, the Grand Canyon, across the Snake River, right? The Snake River Canyon um, on a steam-powered rocket. Now, here, here's, here's the thing about Evil Knievel. People didn't always watch him because they wanted him to land. They wanted to watch him because they liked to watch him wreck and then get put back together. And, and, and I don't know about you, but... It, Honestly, this was the same time that the Roadrunner cartoon was out. And there was a part of me that just wanted the coyote to win once. Just once. I knew that would be the end of the cartoon, but, but isn't there a part of you that's like, come on, beep, beep. I mean, it gets old. Like, coyote, come on, get him once. Just once, at least maim him. Slow him down a little. Something. Right? It's, it's not fair. And so, so this evil Knievel deal, I, I remember we would watch and watch and watch and 
you know, happy days that have Fonzie jumping, I mean, you know, all that stuff. And then when it came to the Snake River jump, I like, oh, yeah. And he failed. But you know what? When he failed, he had a sissy parachute. He just floated down like, woo. He didn't get hurt at all. And I was mad. I was like, hey, it, it didn't work. You should be dead. Like, like, if you're jumping the canyon and you don't make it, that should be the end of you. Right? And there's, there's part of it. No, don't lie. When you go on YouTube, you're not going on to watch everything happen okay. Right? You're there for kittens and maiming. Right? That's, that's, what, that's what you do. And so uh, Evil Knievel was a big deal for me. I was seven years old in 1974, and, and I was all about Evil Knievel. And, and I don't know if you remember when you're, when you're like that age, you can just get transfixed on a certain toy. The toy that I had to have for my seventh birthday uh, was the Evil Knievel crash car. Now, it was awesome. You, would, you had this little crank, and you'd roll it up, and you'd go, vroom, 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 vroom. And then when you stopped it, it would take off super fast, and it would leave skid marks on my mom's kitchen. She hated it uh, from the little wheel, and it'd go flying. But here's the best part. You could make it go so fast into a wall, boom, like that. And the little red piece would fly one way, and the blue piece would fly the other way, and the white piece would fly another way, and all you'd be left with was the frame, and Evil Knievel would fly out of the car. His helmet would pop off, and it was awesome because his body was made out of rubber. It was not like other dolls. And so when at the end of the wreck, you could make him like just like, you know, it was awesome because you could bend him all sorts of ways. And it was so cool. I love my evil Knievel car. And it was the first like fully priced toy that I can remember my parents ever getting me. Right. And, and so I was like, oh, this is this is amazing. But there's this part in all of us that's human that we're just drawn to harm. We're drawn to, in our darker moments, what happens if I touch the iron? What happens if I did this? Every time I'm driving behind a truck that has a ramp, I, I want to try to get on it. I don't, but I mean, I think, I, think, I think, well, that would be cool. How fast would I need to go? How does that work? You know, you, you think of these things, and, and here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is fully human. And when he's up at the, ten, at the, at the pinnacle of the temple, that's a real temptation for him. He's like, well, do I? Right? It's, a real, it's a real thing for him. He's considering it. Well, I mean, everybody would know I'm the Messiah. It's better than the cross. I mean, the angels would come. Surely they would. And I wonder. It's also true that if you're in the Judean desert for 40 days and 40 nights, you might just be ready to end it. You haven't eaten in over a month. It's hot. It's arid. You feel like you're going to die any moment anyway. And so that thought comes in your mind. Well, maybe that's easier. Maybe that's, maybe that's the thing. And I think that thought comes to everyone at some point. And, and I need to just kind of have a little aside here that's very important and serious. And that is, in some traditions, um, they will tell you that suicide is an unforgivable sin. That is not true. It is a misinterpretation of Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And I'm happy to talk to you about that um, privately if you would like. But that is not what the scripture says about suicide. Okay? What Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And all who come to me, right, will have and find life. And, and the reason it's so important that, that we just get this out there is because it, it's in the culture around Oklahoma. And, and the thing is, it's not helpful to the families that are grieving. It's not helpful to the person who has passed. 
Uh, and there's nothing in, in the Bible to, to back that up. So we can just kind of set that over there. I'm happy to talk to you more about that um, if that's been a part. But I, I've seen that scripture abused so badly when people have lost. And, and the thing is, Jesus can heal mental health issues on this side of the grave or the other. Um, and and with, for all I am, I've never known anyone to say, you know, I was thinking about suicide, but there's that one scripture, and so I decided not to. Right? It, it's not a deterrent. And so what, what we have is a very real temptation for Jesus that he too might consider ending his life prematurely. And yet he doesn't, because he knows the love of the Father and he knows the Scripture. And the Scripture says no, no. So Jesus' third temptation was to sell his soul for wealth and power. Uh, and that's not a hard one to see around us. We don't have to spend much time there. Uh, the Scripture says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. But of course Jesus isn't going to do that, no. And, he, and he, again, he doesn't have a big conversation with him. He, J- Jesus simply says, away with you, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Only him. Then the devil left him. And suddenly angels came and waited on him. And that's the part I want you to pay attention to. It, it's not just that the devil's in the wilderness. God's there too. His angels are there to lift you up. Yes, you'll go through temptation. We all do. But the angels are there to lift you up, to heal you, to help you, to bless you. And that's true for all of us even when we're in God's will, especially when we're in God's will. So if you're a person who likes to tweet, you can say it like this. We are all tempted and tested. Yes, everyone, even Jesus. So don't hide your temptation. That's partly what gives it its power is the secrecy. You open that up to somebody that you can trust. Jesus knows what real life is like and has mercy for us all. No matter what comes in your head. Temptation is not sin, friends. I have to get this right. Temptation is not sin. The thought is not the act. The problem is when that thought or the temptation lingers and you start playing with it, that's when you're in trouble. I love the way Dallas Willard says, he says, look, if you're, if you're playing with temptation, it's, it's not a sin, but don't put it on the conveyor belt at the grocery store, right? Because you're, you're going to wind up buying it and it's going to cost more than you can afford, right? So the thing is, and, and, and here's the thing that people say to me, they're like, oh, it just happened. It just happened. No, it didn't just happen. You, you took, like, I'll speak for myself. If I go to the, the grocery store when I'm depressed or I'm having a really bad day and Chantel's not with me, I will come home with ding-dongs. Oh, you need, she's got to be there. And I'll be, I don't know how they got in the car. I just, they just showed up in the shelf. No, I took them off the shelf, into the cart, into the cart, up to the front, into the front, onto the conveyor belt, on the conveyor belt. Oh, how did these get in my bag? Right? You need someone to say, put those down. Don't, don't put that on the conveyor belt because the closer it gets, the more likely you are to buy. Does it make sense? But don't let the devil trick you or shame you or guilt you into saying, oh, you had a bad thought, that's sin. No, it's not. It's not. Sin is about your will, about what you choose to do or not do for the Father, what you choose to do or not do in the will of God, in the kingdom of God. That's sin, right? Temptation is simply temptation. And we're all tempted and tested even Jesus. And the great news of the scripture is this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. No, no. Jesus is the one who in every respect has been tested as we are, absolutely, yet without sin. Those thoughts come to him, he chooses not to act on them. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, with holy boldness, friends, because God loves us, God loves you, and he already knows everything about you. There's no reason to be far from him because he's crazy about you. He wants you in his arms, and he already knows the things you struggle with. Ask him for help. Just ask him for help. 
So the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy, actually receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When Andy and I were working on this, we, we kind of came up with, with this phrase that I think is, is pretty good. Uh, temptation after a spiritual high doesn't mean that it didn't work or it wasn't real. And, and we, we know this all the time when people go, like they go to camp and then they come back and they feel like, oh my gosh, this temptation, maybe that wasn't a real deal. No, it, it means it did. It did work. It was. And God is with you. It did work. You see, temptation comes when you're right in the middle of God. And the thing is, never forget who you are when that happens. That's what baptism is all about. Remembering, being signed, sealed, and delivered by the very hand of God to start your journey and remember who you are. For many of us, our baptism was a long time ago. For me, it was almost 50 years ago now when I was baptized. I don't remember it at all. And so today, we want to offer you uh, the opportunity to remember your baptism and to be thankful. And so when we come to communion today as our action step, we want to encourage you to remember your baptism, if that's comfortable for you. Um, in the same way, if you were here at Ash Wednesday, uh, you would come down and receive the mark or the sign of the cross on your forehead with ashes, um, and then go to communion today. Um, I'll be at the front and offer the sign of the cross on your forehead with water. Um, and just remember your baptism and be thankful. If that'd be helpful to you, uh, we want to offer that to you. Uh, secondly, as our action step, I want to in, in, invite you to confide in a trusted advisor about your current temptation. Uh, relieve the power in the t- of the temptation. Uh, take it away by, by bringing it to light. Don't hide that in the darkness. Now, you have to be really wise about who you share that with. You just don't do that willy-nilly. Um, but you can share that with our pastoral staff, or you can share that with a good counselor or a trusted friend or grandma or grandpa, somebody that you can really trust. Uh, but there's no sense in having those temptations uh, worry you and wear you out over time. Simply own it. Say, yeah, I'm, I'm tempted about this. Uh, can you, you know, go to the grocery store with me? Right? This, this is my temptation. Can you help me with that? Uh, and, and start to get free of those things. Uh, and then finally, embrace the wilderness. We don't need to be afraid of the wilderness. It's beautiful. Jesus found God there. The angels ministered to him there. He heard the voice of God there. Is temptation there? Of course. Yes, it is. But that comes to all of us. But it doesn't have to own us. We're free of that because of what Christ has done in us and through us and for us on the cross and in the resurrection. Amen? Amen.